Seems like life gets in the way of things that we like sometimes. Maybe we should let it do it, but me and my wife talk about this a lot, especially in reference to our daughter who's now married and gone off. Sometimes adulting things get in the way. Sometimes adulting things get in the way of the things we should and like to do. I used to read a lot. I used to read all kinds of things. I really loved fiction, action, adventures. I have a writer's shelf to tell you. I have a shelf that's filled with everything Kyle Closeworth ever wrote. Um, I also love biographies. Uh, I have a biography laying on my desk at home that I started <laughs> several weeks ago and never finished. I also loved history, history about wars and such. When I first began to be discipled as a Christian after college, under a pastor named Steve Roy, that's the first time I probably really learned to love reading the Bible. I remember uh, some Sunday school people that went to Sunday school with us. Some of them, some of you may know them, Steve and Chris Landry. Uh, one Christmas, they gave everyone in our Sunday school class a one-year Bible, and they said, "You can have this as a gift if you'll just promise us that you." And I'll be honest, I used that Bible for many years. And, and I'm going to admit, I mean, I'm not perfect. Most of the time I used it to read the New Testament every year. That very first year I read through the whole Bible, through that Bible in one year. It's a great thing. You can still buy them. You ought to look it up. And every year after that, I would use that Bible every morning for my devotion. Um, probably, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years I read through the New Testament in a year. And several years I read through the Proverbs in a year before I learned to read the Proverbs. And, and it's nothing neat because I'm, I'm just a sinful human being like you, but I'll be honest, I, I don't even have it anymore because it was paperback and it fell apart. It fell apart. It fell apart. But I'm going to admit that I only remember two times that I actually read all the way through the Old Testament. It's hard. In seminary, I saw the Old Testament class coming in front of me wasn't excited. But I remember that seminary class, and I remember that, that, that pastor, that man of God, that doctor in theology. I remember several things. I remember preparing a, a research paper on the book of Micah. But I, I remember three things that he really tried to drive into us. The first was that the Old Testament is history. It really is. It's nonfiction. It's history. And the second thing was, not only is it history, but it's a special kind of history. It's a history inspired by God. And the third thing this, this pastor, theologian, teacher tried to drive into me was that God had his plan all along from the very beginning. And it's in the Old Testament just as it's in the New Testament. And if you can't read and study the Old Testament and see the promise of a new beginning from the New Testament in it, you're not reading hard enough. And I had never realized that. So this morning, we're going to dive into some history. And we're going to start with these first verses, starting at verse 16 through 21, where the men set out from there, and they looked down and saw Sodom, and, Adam, uh, and Abraham kind of went on their way a little bit, and the Lord starts speaking. Now, last week, Dale covered the three visitors that came out into the middle of this hot, bare, dry, and desert land. That's kind of where they were living. And being a great host that Abraham was and following great tradition, he prepared a meal for them. He sat and he visited with them. And during that visit, God gave Abraham some great news that within a year, Sarah and Abraham would have a son. And, and, and that happened somewhere in the midst of that visit last week. 
And I'm not trying to start off with a big argument with Dale. In fact, I talked with him before this. I've been reading, praying, studying scripture. To me, in this chapter 18, I see the appearance of theopathy in these verses. A theopathy, excuse me. That is a very fancy Greek word that comes from two words that mean God and appearance. It is actually a visual manifestation of God to a person or to people in the Bible. Now, last week, Dale covered that there are some theologians that teach this as an appearance of a trinity. Uh, that mainly came from the Church of England, and it doesn't have much basis in fact. But I do believe there is evidence here in Scripture that this could have been two angels or angelic beings and Yahweh God himself that appeared to, Eve, that appeared to Abraham. First off, let me tell you, there are theophanies in the Bible. Uh, jot this down if you don't believe it. There's a burning bush in Exodus 3. There's a cloud of fire in Exodus 13. There's a tempest or a tornado in Job 38. There's a fourth man in the fiery furnace in Daniel 3, and I'm just going to stop there, but I could have I could have came up with more, okay? It's not an all-inclusive list, but it's not an unheard of thing, and people go, well, why? Why would God choose to appear to man? Well, we really don't know, but we can say this. Sometimes he simply wants to show mankind that he can show up. Sometimes he wants to show mankind that he can take different forms and be seen in different ways and actually take part in his creation. So in this verse that we're beginning with this morning, it says the men set out from there. But look what it says in uh, uh, verse 17. It says, then the Lord said, okay? The verse says, then the Lord said, shall I have from Abraham what I am about to do? And throughout this whole passage, it continues to talk about the Lord said, the Lord said. You can see it all the way through verse 21. I think it's still on the board behind me. Yeah. Now, I'm not trying to get fancy because I'm not that smart, but I do know how to study. The word in the Hebrew scripture every time the Lord appears in these verses is Yahweh. The most proper name for the Lord that Jewish people would not even utter. If you will look in your Bibles... Almost all modern translations, including the ESV, has all four letters of Lord in capitals. Mm -hmm. That is how translators show they are translating the word Yahweh. It says that Yahweh spoke to Abraham here. Now, he could have spoke to Abraham without being one of the three visitors. That's possible. But in verse 22, it says, Abraham still stood before the Lord, and that word is Yahweh. Now, in that verse, it seems that Abraham is standing in some sort of visible representation of Yahweh. It's a little hard to stand before something that you can't see or hear. So it looks like to me that two of these men went towards Sodom, and Abraham stood before the Lord to talk to him. And that brings us to a second point in these same verses here, 16 through 21. God reveals his plan to his personal friend. It says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord, and that's that capital letters again, may bring to Abraham what he has promised, then the Lord, capital letters again, 
Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is grave, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. What we see here is the creator and the sustainer of the universe on earth having personal time with a man named Abraham. Now let me explain something to you. He, he didn't need to come down here. He didn't need to speak to Abraham. He didn't need to have dinner with Abraham. He didn't need to listen to Sarah laughing. He can carry out any plan he wants to without you, me, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, whoever. But from the very beginning, and this is what I learned to look for from that professor, God likes to and he wants to have personal relationships with his creation. And it makes no sense. He's God and we're not. He's holy and we're not. He's righteous and we're not. But all throughout this book, God continues to have contact with and continues to build personal relationships with mankind, even though by all rights, what he should really do is wipe his creation, mankind, off the face of the earth. Alexander McLaren wrote about this. He said, God had lovingly brought him, Abraham, into close relations with himself. Not for his own sake, but for more. That he might be a channel of grace to Israel and then to the world. Isn't it amazing? God, Yahweh, brought Abraham into close relations with him? You know he wants the same for you? If you don't understand that God, Yahweh, wants a personal relationship with you, out to lunch with me right after the sermon. I mean, you really do. Hope you like Mexican. That's where we usually go. <laughs> but I really need to talk to you if you don't understand that Yahweh God wants a personal relationship with you. In this section, the Lord tells Abraham that he is going down to investigate the cities because of the outcry against them. Now, I'm going to go off on a rabbit trail here, Eddie. Oh, I, I love you, Eddie. Yeah, in case I chase the rabbit too far. You might ask, what cities? Okay, Dale's going to cover this next week. Well, Sodom's one of the cities. Let, let me tell you how we know about these cities. Way, way back in Genesis chapter 13, Abraham and Lot separated. And Abraham, being the guy he is, maybe that's why God chose him, because I wouldn't have done it. But Abraham, being the guy he is, says, Lot, you pick where you want to go first. Well, guess what Lot picks? Lot looks down in the valley and he sees these great cities and this fruited plain and he says, hey, everything a flesh-covered human being could want is down there. There's materialism, there's business, there's wealth, and there's tons of sinful fun. So he chose the valley. Now look, I, I don't want to emphasize this too much because I don't want to walk on Dale's sermon. Well, I really do because I want to there were some horrible sexual perversions going on in these cities. You know, Satan can make sin seem like fun for a season. We are sinful human beings. We are bent toward a sinful nature. 
But I'm telling you, I'm not sure we fall into some of the things we fall into if Satan couldn't make them look fun. If he told you that there is a very, very good chance that you're going to end up homeless with no family, laying in an alley somewhere completely drunk and sick and dying, would you ever try that first drink or that first pill or that first snort? He's going to tell you it's going to make you feel good. If Satan stood up and admitted God is right, the sexual relation was created for married couples. Yeah. And that's the only way you will ever enjoy it. Uh -huh. yeah. If he stood up and said that, would people try sex with prostitutes? Or sex with people of the same sex? Or sex with children? You know, you can end up with diseases. You can end up with emotional baggage. You might not ever find a true love in your life. And you can end up Satan doesn't show you that picture. That's not what he shows you. So Lot, being like most of us in the world, chose the valley and the cities and the ultimate desires. And guess what? Lot's now living in just an incredibly sinful and perverted and unrighteous place. And God is a righteous God. And God can have nothing to do with sin. And in his own time, we don't ever understand his time frame. He deals with sin and unrighteousness. If you don't believe it, this book's full of it. You already covered chapter 6, where the whole earth was wiped out. You've already covered chapter 11, Tower of Babel. Babel. Me and Eddie always like number 16, Korah's Rebellion. So God comes to earth to see his personal friend. Let's Abraham in on the plan to punish and destroy the unrighteous. Now the final verse is 22 through 33. Kind of interesting. And I'm not going to keep you all day. They're actually my final point. And we're doing something different today. We're going to go ahead and jump right into the application. The application. You know what application is? Application is when we take what God gives us in his word and we listen to him and we pray about it and we find some way to use what he gives us in his word in our everyday life here while we are on earth. Yeah. Now I told you that this book is history, but it's more. It's God's inspired word to mankind. And we sometimes forget that as Christians, this is not our home. But we do have work to do on this earth. We don't work for our future. We work because we love and appreciate the blessings of Jesus Christ. And we want to show as many people as we can the blessings of Jesus Christ. And look, we've already seen that the God of the whole universe and beyond wants to have a personal relationship with his sinful human creations. And so here in these verses, let's look for an application for Scripture. Now let me tell you what people will tell you when they read these verses. So they went and turned from there, and here we go, Adam, draw, I, ever, I keep calling him Adam. Abraham draws near and says, will you sweep away the righteous? What if there are 50? What if there are 45? What if there are 35? What if there are 30? It sounds like an auctioneer. <laughs> People will say, well, here in this scripture, you see Abraham arguing with God, and somehow he convinces God that Abraham is right and God is wrong, and God changes his mind. I've got news for you. That's not really what happens. This entire dialogue, is for the benefit of Abraham right. and for the benefit of the sinful humans that will come after Abraham. 
you look to the very last verse, verse 33, and in my Bible it says, And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now Dale has fully converted me to the ESV. <laughs> Although, I got to say this morning, the ESV really messed that, that verse up. <laughs> I read them all. If, if you read that, if you, and I can't read it in Hebrew, but if you put the Hebrew words in English and read the way it's written, it always sounds kind of funny. It always kind of sounds, it sounds kind of funny, but this is the order the words would be in. So went on his way, Yahweh went, as soon as Yahweh had finished speaking with Abraham. My old NIV says, when the Lord had finished speaking, he left. The NASB says, as soon as he, Yahweh, had finished speaking to Abraham, he departed. This whole dialogue was really Yahweh's. And when Yahweh had finished his dialogue, the dialogue was over. Don't you understand that Yahweh knew what Abraham was thinking? Don't you understand that he knew what he was going to say before he said it? So don't think somehow God's mind got changed. God already had the plan from the beginning of Genesis. So if Abraham didn't talk God into changing his mind... What did Abraham do? I think that's our application. If you study and pray over this, you're going to find that Abraham begged and pleaded for sinful human beings that were living in those cities. You're going to see that Abraham knew who he was talking to. Abraham knew that God could strike him down at any time. Abraham knew that he could do, God had a plan and was doing his plan no matter what Abraham wanted. Abraham knew that the judgment for sin was about to be carried out by a righteous God on unrighteous people. And all of a sudden, Abraham realized that time was close. Time was near. And you know what else Abraham knew? Abraham knew Lot was down there. So what did Abraham do? Abraham stood before a holy God that could have struck him dead in his shoes and pleaded, pleaded for sinful men. Can we find an application? I don't know. Does it sound like there's an application there? All right, let's read some theologians. Make it sound like I'm smart. I'm really not. Alexander McLaren wrote, how much more surely will real communion with Jesus Christ lead us to look on all men, especially on the vicious and the outcast, with his eyes, who saw the multitudes as sheep without a shepherd, as people torn, scattered, exhausted, and defenseless. Indifference to the miseries and the impending dangers of Christless men should be impossible for any whom he calls not servants, but friends. You know, he calls his children friends. McLaren continues, Abraham teaches us that the boldness of pleading for men which is permitted to a friend of God and is compatible with deepest reverence. Abraham is keenly conscious of his audacity, and he knows himself to be but dust and ashes. But he pleads as a friend of God. 
In the Old Testament, you can already see that God makes a way. All was never lost, even though sinful man deserves to lose it all. Is there anyone out there who would just say hallelujah when I say, you know, God made a man for sinful man not to suffer eternal punishment? That's something, is that something you could say hallelujah to? God made a way for sinful human beings to be redeemed. And in this case, in this case, we're going to find out only Lot and his family is going to escape the judgment of Sodom. But God is continually and has from the beginning of time been making a way for sinful humans to be redeemed. Are we like Abraham? Are we pleading and begging in our lives before a holy God for the lost of the world? Alistair E. McGrath wrote about redemption. He said, Salvation has to be understood as something of a normal intrinsic worth as Jesus speaks in the parable of the pearl of great price. The doctrine of redemption affirms the reality of human sin and that the love for God has for sinners. God, though angered and grieved by sin, comes to meet us where we are. God, Jesus, willingly accepted the suffering, the pain, the agony, and the sin of the world in order to forgive and renew the world. It's unexplainable. I'm happy that I don't have to explain it or understand it. I'm happy that I know that I can be saved from my sin by the blood of, of the Son, yes. even though I didn't deserve it. Yes. Do you think there's application for us here in this passage? Do you want to understand it? Do you see that Abraham standing before the God of the universe pleading for people, many of whom he didn't even know? People that he knew were sinners. Ignatius Loyola said, project yourself into the situation, engage with a dialogue with the dying Christ. Reflect on what is happening at the cross. The creator is suffering for the creation. The one who has eternal life by right is suffering physical pain and death for sinners who don't Look on Christ your Lord, hanging on the cross. Talk to him about the creator becoming human to die for your sins. And while you're doing this, ask and reflect by using these questions. This is for you, not for me. It's all for individuals. I don't know what you're going to say and you don't know what I'm going to say, but ask. What have I done for Christ? What am I doing for Christ? What ought I be doing for Christ? We Christians have failed in so many ways to plead for sinners. To witness for sinners. Witnessing, it, it's been a hard thing even for me. Evangelism. In, in, in most of my lifetime, which is recent times, we 
People have had this fear of being fun, being made fun of, or being ridiculed, or losing friends. You could fire me after this because I'm, I'm going to get a little personal here. I, I'm afraid now there's real things to fear. I'm sorry, but I'm watching the signs around me. And I'll be the first to admit that I may be watching the things around me too much and not pleading enough on my knees. But I'm afraid God is continuing to open my eyes at age 55 to the unholy and unrighteous around me. Look up what the word Sodom means. Our world is becoming more like Sodom every second of every day. And I'm afraid to say that our country we, we had it way too easy in this country for so long. We, we had freedom of speech and freedom of religion and we didn't witness because we were afraid somebody would make fun of us while missionaries in other parts of the world suffered real consequences. Well, guess what, people? It's come home. Very soon, I think it might be weeks or months. I don't know. I pray it doesn't happen. I plead with God that it doesn't. But I'm telling you, Christians are going to be punished for speaking things in this book. I promise you that because the evil ones the evil one hates you because you have accepted Christ. I'm telling you very soon, mentioning Sodom by name, or mentioning homosexual by name, and I've probably already messed up this church this morning because this is going out on YouTube, it's going to bring real punishment. If you don't believe it, I'll step out of the Bible for a minute and tell you what's happening in your world around you. Right now, there's a new law moving at breakneck speed through government. And the new, the new administration promised before the election that they were in favor of it and would sign it. That will stop any private Christian school, private Christian women's shelter, private Christian pregnancy center, or even houses of worship from discriminating against someone who goes by the initials LGBTQ in hiring or in spoken word. The bathrooms they use, the speech you might say, even if it's from this scripture, is not going to be allowed. And if you've been afraid to plead for the lost and witness for the lost because these people are lost, if you've been afraid to plead for them, because you were afraid you would be ridiculed. I got news for you. It's fixing to really be bad. Ask me later outside of church if you want to know some of the things I see going on. I'll tell you what. I see the leaders today who are praising and holding up people as role models and appointing people to powerful positions in our government who are completely lost in the sin of homosexuality. If you don't believe it, I'll explain it to you. I see people holding up people, making them role models, and appointing them to positions that as adults are pretending to be a different sex than they were born. And not only that, but they are encouraging children to take part in this. And just this week, a leader, I won't name from the pulpit, but I'll tell you in private if you want to know, stood up in Congress and said, God's will is no concern to this Congress. As Christians, we should be on our knees 
praying for these lost sheep. But I'm going to tell you the truth. I have been severely disappointed and I don't know what to do about it because many of our Christian leaders are on their knees before men asking to be forgiven of, of something that was said years ago or something their great-great-grandfather did that maybe he didn't even really do it. Come on. Amen. See, we have leaders now that have decided we don't want to offend lost people. We don't want to offend sinners. And I learned this in seminary from a professor that I loved and, and, and really respected. I hate to tell you this, but this thing right here, this book, this word of the Lord, this is the most offensive thing you will ever read if you are not covered by the blood of Christ. It speaks of one way and one way only through a new covenant to have peace and eternal life with a holy God. And it speaks of eternal destruction that is greater than what Dale is going to preach about next week on those who do not make that decision. If that's not offensive, if that doesn't offend, I don't know what it is. I'm so disappointed that we have people now that want to appease man and are not scared anymore of a God that could strike us down where we stand. People, our application is we have got to find a way to learn to plead, to learn to intercede, to learn to witness to the lost sheep of the world, and that includes those people who hate us. While at the same time, we must protect ourselves and our loved ones from those people from the line that is prowling around outside looking to devour more lost sheep every day. And I'm sorry, but you can't do that on your knees before men. The pleading needs to be before God. You have a choice this morning as to whether or not you want to choose this application in your life. There's a man right here in this verse and a man in the first verse that Dale's going to preach next week. And they're on different paths. And it's time to make the choice. You could be like Abraham. And you can stand before a holy God. As dust. And plead. And beg. And intercede for those people who do not know him. Be like Lot. And you can sit at the gate to the city with all the sinners and hope that somebody gets you out of there before destruction comes. Your application today is in the coming days through prayer and through study, decide how you're going to apply this to your life. Because just as Abraham and those visitors looked down on that plane, people, I'm telling you. Abraham pleaded because he saw that destruction was near. I don't know what it is, but it's near. And everybody who doesn't have Christ is going to suffer.
choose to either be like Abraham and plead before a holy God for the lost or be like Lot and sit at the gate with all the other sinners hoping somebody pulls you out at the last minute. I'm sorry, but that's your choice. That's your choice. As we think about that, we'll close response. Our musicians will come, but let us, let, us, let us just close for just a minute with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.